0: What's up, what's up? Welcome to Reliving Single. This is a weekly recap podcast about the original Friends and one of the 90s best TV shows, Living Single. I'm your host and editor of Flava Magazine, Asada Jones, and I am looking forward to weaving a delicate web of trust with you all throughout the series. Listeners, however you're listening, wherever you're listening, I want to take a second and say thank you, thank you for pressing that play button. I so appreciate you. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to the show on your podcast player and leave a review and a five-star rating. So for this first episode, I thought it would make sense to start off by sharing how I discovered the show. It was the summer of 97, and I remember it clearly because it was my first summer break. Year-round schooling ended that year, and for the first time ever, I was experiencing this wonderful thing called a summer break. I had never heard of it before because even when I lived in Puerto Rico, I attended school full-time. It's just what happened. So, Back to the summer of 97, I would spend the weekdays at my grandmother's house for the day while my mom was at work because she's a school teacher and she was teaching summer school. So for the most part, I was unattended because my abuela was busy in her room with her telenovelas and her Bible study. And I was a pretty good kid, so I would mostly watch TV in the living room and just kind of, you know, keep to myself. So at first, I stuck to Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network, but then, of course, like, Any Curious Child, I started exploring the channels and eventually I landed on UPN and reruns of Living Single y'all i was immediately drawn to the show i loved seeing black women that i could see myself in on tv and i love that they were friends living together and they were hanging out and having fun i love that they most all of them held professional positions um actually no all of them held professional positions and entrepreneurial positions and that was really cool to see and you know, of course, the comedic storylines were amazing, and I live and still live for Max and Kyle's romance. So the only problem, and it was a pretty major problem, was that because I was on a summer break, I was subjected to the daytime TV schedule, and I wasn't able to watch the show in real time. So it took me about three summers to watch the show, and it was like two episodes a day per week, and Even still, I had to fill in the blanks about what happened because over the course of those two summers where I was spending time at my grandmother's house, I never actually finished the show, Um, never actually finished the final season until much later in 2018 when the show was bought by Hulu, which if you don't know already, listeners, that's where you can watch the show. Okay, enough about me. I want to share some fun facts with you before I dive into this recap, because listeners, when I started doing the research for this podcast, I discovered some really cool things about the show, about the behind the scenes stuff, about the actors and the extras, you know, all kinds of fun stuff that I'm really excited to share with you along the way. So let's get into it. The first fun fact is that initially, Living Single was going to be named My Girls, I'm not sure why the name changed from My Girls to Living Single, but I do know that decision was made after the pilot episode was shot. More about that later in the recap. Fun fact number two is that Queen Latifah sings and raps the iconic theme song of this series. I think we all knew that, but I had to mention it anyway. Interestingly enough, the decision to have her sing the theme song was made after the show's title was changed from My Girls to Living Single, which to me is like, why wouldn't you have Queen Latifah do it in the first place? But whatever. I'm glad it happened how it happened because it's hella catchy and the jazzy outro is so iconic. Fun fact number three is that creator of the show, Yvette Lee Bowser, became the first black woman to develop her own primetime series with Living Single. Before creating her own projects, she worked on shows like A Different World, and after Living Single, she went on to produce Half and Half and a bunch of other shows. Fun fact number four is that Living Single was the second sitcom to feature four black female leads. The first show to do so was a sitcom called 227, and it aired on NBC from 1985 to 1990. The series stars Marla Gibbs, Regina King, Elena Reid Hall, Jack A. Harry, and Helen Martin. My last fun fact is that Living Single was the most watched show in black households for all five seasons on air. The only other series to tie that record is The Parkers, which ran from 1999 to 2004. All right, so let's dive into this recap. We're starting with Season 1, Episode 1, Judging by the Cover. The episode opens up on Sinclair James, played by Kim Coles. She is the receptionist at Flava Magazine, and she's answering the phone in like this crazy Australian accent, or maybe it's an English accent, I can't quite place it, but she's doing that in order to get the caller to think that Flava is an international magazine. We then get our first appearance of Khadijah James, played by Queen Latifah. She is the owner of Flava Magazine and the cousin of Sinclair James. She reminds Sinclair that Flava is a grassroots company and she needs to, like, relax. So Sinclair then code switches into a black scent, which isn't any better, but it's kind of adorable. Hello, Flava Magazine, the freshest taste in news and views. I'm a up. Sinclair, what are you doing? I'm making them think we're international. Make them think we need some money. <laughs> and keep in mind, this is a grassroots publication. Got it. Yo, 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 i can hook you up, G. So Regine Hunter, played by Kim Fields, enters the office in like this cloud of bougie and announces that she's being wined and dined by a new suitor with money. His name is Brad Hamilton. Khadija starts to give Regine a hard time about, you know, dating guys for just their money and all of the things that they give her. She's kind of mean about it, but it's like real dating advice, and she's not wrong. I mean, she's kind of harsh- but she's not wrong. Could her delivery be a little bit nicer, a little bit more empathetic? Yes. But is that what was happening in the 90s? No. Like the trope of the 90s is that like friends crack jokes and we're like kind of mean and passive aggressive with each other. And that's definitely a trend throughout the series. Um, Side note, I'm glad that we as a society got away from that because that's like not a healthy portrayal of relationships or friendships. And uh, it's kind of modeling really terrible behavior, I think. And I get that it's a sitcom and everything is supposed to be tongue in cheek and it's all for a laugh, but I do think there is something about our imitating life and all that stuff. So anyway, I'm just glad that the friendships that we see on TV are a little bit more emotionally um, mature. But don't get me wrong, I love the series, and I'm never going to stop watching it. So then Khadija gets a call that the celebrity that she booked for the cover of her magazine never got paid, so they aren't showing up to the photo shoot. Turns out the celebrity was Maya Angelou, and Sinclair forgot to send the check because she was busy working on her cosmetology thesis called Purple Lipstick, The Black Woman's Enemy. <laughs> Sinclair, what a mess. <laughs> I just want to mention that in this scene, the fashion is so 90s. Like, Khadija is wearing this, like, oversized pantsuit. Regine has this insane scarf on her head with, like, this crazy outfit. Oh, it's so good. The fashion in this series is, like, oh, perfect. All right, so the next scene brings us to the house that Khadija, Sinclair, and Regine all share together. And a little behind the scenes fun fact is that the house that they're shooting in or the set that they're shooting in is the same set, the same house as the Winslow house from Family Matters. How cool is that? My guess is that in the first pilot episode, they wanted, you know, obviously the girls to live in a house, but then when it came time to explain how all the neighbors were popping in and out in such close proximity to each other, uh, they had to find a better way to explain that than like, you know, individual houses so then they move them all to a brownstone which I think makes the most sense but anyway moving on so we open up in the living room with Sinclair and Overton Jones. Overton is played by John Henton and he is their handyman. Overton is explaining to Sinclair how you fix a vacuum and he's kind of mansplaining to her but it's kind of adorable because they are both so like innocent and like wide-eyed that the whole interaction is super cute and somehow you know immediately that these two have like a little flirtation going on. So then the one and only Kyle Barker played by T.C. Carson walks into the house. He's Overton's roommate and he's looking for Overton to go back to their place and fix the TV for the game that's happening that night. They then have this funny aside, you know how in sitcoms people would like talk to the side of a scene, but it's like within full earshot of everybody else in the room. Yeah, they have one of those. And Kyle starts making fun of Overton for spending so much time at the girls' place and taking so long to actually ask Sinclair out. Overton then has this great comeback and he says, listen, I'm weaving a delicate web of trust with Sinclair today she's letting me fix the vacuum. I figure once I get up under that sink, I'm in there. (laughs) God! I should have known I'd find you here. Look, I thought you were going to fix the TV before the game starts. I'm trying to fix things right here. Man, you still trying to get with Sinclair. Man, I'm weaving a delicate web of trust. And it's starting to work, too. Now today, she let me fix the vacuum. But I figure once I get up under that sink, I'm in there. Then Regine enters the room and the doorbell rings, so she goes to answer it thinking it's her date, Brad Hamilton, but turns out it is Maxine Shaw, attorney at law. My favorite character has entered the chat. Maxine Shaw is played by the phenomenal Erica Alexander, and she and Kyle have chemistry from the jump. I'm talking sexual tension you can cut with a knife and I am here for it. I am so here for it. <laughs> All right, so Max comes in and she's bragging about her latest win in the courtroom and it's freaking awesome because she is, you know, Maxine Shaw, attorney at law, one of the best lawyers in New York City. I'm making that part up, but I'm assuming she is cuz she's the best. Max, no, 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 Ace, what's up, baby girl? Today my looking my look... Got my client the house, the Winnebago, alimony, and seventy percent of all the assets he tried to conceal. I left that man with nothing but a lint ball and have a tic-tac. Ah-ha! Don't touch me unless you want to get burned! That fever. You for Eventually Regine State shows up and he picks her up at the door and the girls are wild. They are so thirsty for this man that they are openly hitting on him in front of Regine and like being all flirtatious with him is crazy. The scene ends with Regine leaving with Brad and the girls just lusting after this man. (laughs) The next scene takes us back to the headquarters of Flava magazine and a woman walks in requesting to take out a full page ad in Flava for her restaurant. So she's talking to Sinclair and because this is the 90s, the woman decides to pay with a check. So Sinclair is able to see the owners of the restaurant. They are Tiana Graham and Brad Hamilton. And without even thinking, our sweet Sinclair says, oh, I know Brad Hamilton. And the woman, who we are now assuming is Tiana, responds with the classic, oh, really? How do you know my husband? Yikes. I would not know how to handle a situation like that. Thankfully, this has never happened to me. But I do know this has happened to a very close friend of mine. And I mean, she handled it gracefully. Sinclair, on the other hand, is like highly suspicious. She makes up this lie and is like, oh, I misspoke. I don't know your husband and just like runs away in the most comical way. If she had no idea that Brad was cheating on her, she absolutely knows now. (laughs) That's how obvious our girl was being. All right, so the next scene has Khadijah, Sinclair, and Max in the kitchen back at the house, and they're talking about Regine's trifling-ass man, and they're debating who's going to tell her the news. Initially, the girl's make a very questionable choice and they decide not to tell Regine about Brad and they decide that, you know, she'll figure it out on her own. But then Regine comes into the kitchen and she's just bragging away about Brad, about how wonderful he is and about how he wants to take her away to Martha's Vineyard for the weekend. And here is where we have one of my favorite exchanges of the episode. Regine says about Brad, something tells me he might like a wife. And then Sinclair replies, oh, you know your man, girl. Girl. Filing this man under F for fine, fabulous, and my future. Hmm. Something tells me he might like a wife. <laughs> you know your man. <sighs> <laughs> so. The girls on the spot decide, okay, no, we need to tell her what's going on, and so they tell her that Brad is buried. Unfortunately, Regine is not trying to hear it, and she does not believe her girls. They ask her about some telltale signs that I think are still applicable today. They ask her, does he only pay with cash? Does he always whisper on the phone? Does he have some ridiculous reason as to why you can't call him at home? Yeah, it's not looking good for a girl, Regine. She legit says, his grandfather's hearing aid bothers him when the phone rings. <laughs> <laughs> uh. No, he's not. I mean, he doesn't wear a wedding ring. Now She's got a point there. <laughs> and if he's married, why didn't he tell me? Because he's married, girl. Jean, <laughs> I'll bet he always pays cash at restaurants so he can't be tracked down by the receipts. Mm-hmm. Only because he hates credit. And does he whisper on the phone when you're in the room? He's a very private person. And does he always have some ridiculous excuse as to why you can't call him at uh, home? No. No, his, his grandfather's hearing aid is uh. broken. And it bothers him on the phone it's what? Brad arrives for their date, and empowered by the conversation she's had with her friends, Regine decides to confront Brad. But Brad has all the excuses. This man is smooth. He says all the right things, and unfortunately, Regine falls for it. The other girls are just stunned that Regine believed Brad and left with him for a date, especially Sinclair, because homegirl walked out of the kitchen talking about, well, that was awfully polite of her to walk him outside. (laughs) The next scene opens up a few days later, back in the girls' living room, with the whole gang minus Regine. We find out that Khadija is still struggling to find a cover model for Flava, and it's pretty bad because at this point, our girl is getting turned down by Slappy White. It's not good. Eventually, the conversation shifts to Regine, and they all discuss how Regine is obviously dating a married man and that she is in complete denial. They're all in agreement that Regine can do a lot better, she deserves more, and that she needs to break up with him. Right on cue, Regine enters the living room, and she is dressed to the nines, waiting for Brad to pick her up for their next date. Okay, so we have to talk about what she's wearing. Regine is rocking a classic 90s little black dress. It's a heart-shaped strapless suede dress with like this neck cuff that's there for some reason. And the neck cuff has like nine strings of rhinestones connecting the strapless dress and the neck cuff together. It sounds so terrible while I'm describing it, but in 93, Regine was killing it, okay? (laughs) While she's waiting, the rest of the gang try to talk to her and try to get her to see the light, but unfortunately, our girl Regine is just so digmatized, and she says the classic side piece lines like, he said his marriage was over before he met me, and I have to trust him, and he said he's going to leave his wife, and then we'll be together, and then we can put this all behind us. Ugh. Spoiler alert, listeners, this never works out, and you will always be broken hearted. The next scene takes us to a few hours later in the evening, and Regine is still in her smokin' hot dress. But now, she's on the couch, binge-eating chocolates and snacks. It's clear that Brad isn't showing up for their date. Khadija and Max have fallen asleep on the couch, but Sinclair is still up, and she's trying to comfort Regine, but she's not very good at it. Regine? Honey? I don't think he's coming. Later, when Regine is boo-hooing and crying, asking why does this keep happening to her, Max and Khadijah come in with some really solid advice. Why does this keep happening to me? Because you keep looking for someone to carry you. What's wrong with that? They keep dropping your ass. All I want is the best. I mean, I want a man that knows that fine wine doesn't come with a twist-off cap. <laughs> you know, I don't know how you got to be so snooty. You ain't but one generation out the project's your damn So what, I'm not supposed to want more? Of course. You can get it on your own. You can do anything. You're a woman. Here you roar! <laughs> All jokes aside, I really feel Regine in this scene. She just wants a better life for herself, and she's looking for a partner who can provide that for her. But, you know, she'll come to find out that she can provide that life for herself, and the partner that is meant for her is going to be the icing on the cake, not the cake. I love Regine's storyline throughout this series. It was so easy to discount her when I was younger because she just seemed really superficial and there were so many things about her life that just went over my head when I first watched the series, obviously. But now as an adult, I'm able to appreciate the nuances of her character and her overall storyline. And of course, Kim Fields does an amazing job portraying Regine. It's perfect casting. All right, so in the final scene of the episode, also known as the tag, The Core Four are in the bathroom celebrating Flava Magazine's latest release. The issue is doing much better than expected, and in fact, it's sold out because of Khadija's featured article about the dangers of dating married men. Turns out, Khadija didn't need to put a celebrity on the cover to sell copies of her magazine. We end the episode with the Core Four singing My Girl in the Bathroom, a tribute to the initial name of the series. And that, listeners, is the end of episode one, Judging by the Cover. Up next, your red-flag dating stories. All right, I'm back and now it's time for red flags. This is a segment where I read some of the red-flag dating stories that you listeners have sent to me via email or Instagram. The idea for the segment was actually born on my other podcast, What Makes Me Well, and it came about as I was interviewing a guest and somehow we ended up talking about our past dating mistakes and the red flags that we chose to ignore in some cases. And it was really fun. We had a good time laughing at our younger selves. But what stuck with me about that conversation was that she and I actively chose to ignore that little voice inside of our heads that told us a red flag was in play and how important it is to listen to that voice and honor that voice. So my hope with this segment is to not only kiki and haha with you all about our stupid mistakes, because, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we have to laugh to keep from crying, but I also hope that we can take a second to consider why those flags were ignored and what was learned from that experience. And the only way that can happen is if we share our stories. All right, so our first red flag is submitted by Athena. Athena writes, My ex had a whole felony for domestic <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot about this one, and I'm rereading it, and it's just too much. Okay, so Athena writes, My ex had a whole felony for domestic violence, and my dumbass believed him when he said it was her fault. And that right there is two red flags, because the first one is that he had a felony, and then the second one was that he blamed his felony on the victim. So boom, right there, two red flags. Athena goes on. A year later, he got aggressive with me. Oh no, you were done and gained another charge on his record after I called the cops. Good for you, girl. Moral of the story, believe those court records, sis. Six years later, his ass is still in my inbox apologizing. Ooh, delete, block, or do not engage, Athena. I am so glad you were out of that situation safely, girl. Those were some serious red flags. And not for nothing, that is so common of abusers to blame the victim. Like, oh, she ran into my fist and she made me mad so I had to hit her. What kind of bullshit is that? If you ever hear anything like that, any sort of victim blaming, run. That is a red, red flag. Whew. All right. The next red flag is coming from, uh, let me think of a name, Jessenia. And Jessenia writes... This is more of a red neon flashing sign, but within the first 20 minutes of a first date, he told me a story about how he paid to receive a blowjob from a stripper. And no shame on the profession or anything, but that is not something that comes up naturally on a first date. Oh, girl, you are so right. That is a red flag. That man is trying to just tell you a little bit about his lifestyle, and that does not sync with your lifestyle, I can tell. So uh, she says, that's not something that comes up naturally on a first date. So if you're intentionally telling me that, minutes into meeting me, what else do you have going on? Ooh, questions that need answers. Oh, and he also tried to play truth or dare with me to try and get me to hold his hand and kiss him because we're five. Oh no. <laughs> and because I'm polite as fuck and stupid, I stayed on the date for three hours instead of getting my ass out of there. Jesenia. Ugh. Oh. Girl, flags all over the place. I am so sad that you stayed there for three hours, but now you know better, right? And I mean, you said it yourself. You know what happened. You're just too damn polite. So it's time to fuck politeness and call a red flag a red flag and get the hell out of there. Thanks for sending in those submissions, Athena and Jacenia. If you want to share your red flag stories and have me read it on the podcast, you can email me at readlivingpodcast at gmail.com or send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter. I'm a.joneswellness across all platforms. All right, that's all I have for you this week. I'll be back next week to relive episode two with you, and it's called I'll Take Your Man. Until then, be well, listeners. Smooches. Reliving Single is an A. Jones Wellness production, created and produced by me, Asada Jones. Our researcher and editor is me, Asada Jones. Our audio engineer and mixer is also me, Asada Jones. Our music, however, is provided by the J Squad and Jackson Beats and Mr. B Man Music. All audio clips of the Living Single television sitcom are property of Hulu streaming services and is used on this podcast solely for reference and commentary. Smooches!